time of year, Radio Kroon would like to bring you something rather wonderful to celebrate this festive season, this joyous time when men and women all over the world are drawn closer together by the spirit of Christmas. Wait a moment. This isn't Christmas. I know. I think someone's made a boo-boo. <laughs> I'm a government spokesman. I'm here to tell you that in the interests of business efficiency, we have decided to combine Christmas with August bank holiday, <laughs> which we have moved back three months to coincide with Whit Sunday, incorporating Easter and the Queen's official birthday, which has been brought forward, then put back a bit and slipped in sideways so that it now falls on New Year's Eve <laughs> or Pentecost. So now, instead of lots of inefficient little holidays scattered all over the year, we've got just one jolly big one, and that's today, buddy. But, but that's ridiculous. I, I, I must ask you for some explanation. I'm afraid I can't give you one. Why not? I'm on holiday. Once again, the prunes of the Angus Tune Strain are here to wish you all a happy Christmas, New Year, Easter, Bank Holiday, Yom Kippur, and Whit Weekend. <laughs> Incorporating the Queen's official birthday and Prince Philip's official bath night. <laughs> and hopping out of your surprise Christmas egg come Tim Brooke Taylor, John Cleese, Graham Garden, David Hatch, Joe Kendall, and Milody, your traditional Easter chickens, and all going cheap. And here's the voice of the fairy on top of the Whitson tree. It's I'm sorry, I'll read that again, heart again. <laughs> Radio Prune would like to begin by wishing you all a very happy holiday. We'll be bringing you some really top-line entertainment, just the same as before. In fact, exactly the same as before. <laughs> On television, you can see Disney Time, introduced by Clive Jenkins, <laughs> followed by Sooty's Christmas Party. And tonight, Sooty's guests are Raquel Welsh and the <laughs> Bishop of Woolwich. <laughs> Then there's a special holiday edition of the Rolf Harris Show, and there's a surprise treat in this show. Rolf Harris will be away on holiday. <laughs> Meanwhile, on Radio Prune, it's time for... Chris Meester Wheat, Year's Eve Bank Holiday Night with the stars. And what better way to start the show than with a rollicking number from the gang show? So over to the Metropolitan Mafia Headquarters. We're riding along on a Kraheim wave. Thank you, Brownow. Well, of course, today is also St. Patrick's Day, so we mustn't forget the Irish. So over now to Ireland for a special St. Patrick's Day message. My text for tonight is love thy neighbor. And if you believe that, you'll believe anything. A holiday is a time when you want to enjoy a good meal with the family and when all the food shops are shut. It's a time for visiting, a time 
for all the trains to be more crowded and irregular than usual. And it's a time for all the banks to shut so that you haven't the money to do anything anywhere. <laughs> a holiday is a time to sit at home and starve. <laughs> now here is a special holiday edition of the news. Unfortunately, all newsreaders are on holiday, and so the news will be read by Percy Pikelet and Peter Poe, the cheeky chap is from Chorley. A smile, a song, and an official communique. <laughs> And here is the news. Boom, boom. Anyway, 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 no, thank you. Did you did you hear about the price of an incomes board? They have veto, veto the tariff restrictions imposed by the manufacturers consortium on foreign imports. Hey, uh, <laughs> you're working well tonight. Uh, thank oh. you, uh, thank hey, you. Hey, hey, what about the government levy? Did you say the government I levy? Did the government levy? The government levy on all exported foodstuffs has been cut by three percent following the slump in last month's gold reserve. Hey, that went better at nine o'clock edition. Anyway, no one. <laughs> thank you, madam. Glad you came. No, but anyway, there's uh, there's America. You like this American right. senator goes up and asks for an estimate of government spending in the Far East. What is what is it? 300 million pounds, boom, boom. <laughs> And finally, finally, thank you very sincerely, we'd like to finish with a little song, and titty tittle they finally abolished hanging. Or, oh, that is the end of the noose. Ah, thank you. Well, the time now is approaching midnight, so let's go up to Bonnie, Scotland, where we join Andy Sporan and the crowd at the White Feather Club to see how they're celebrating Hogmanay. Welcome to Bonnie, Scotland, and we're all mechtitooted to see you, and the haggish has been piped with the muckle tunter wallops and strutters. They're stricken doing the old buttocks and tatty bogle and the quines, a failure luttocks with curly kale and neeps, and a tatty up your ski and do, and join us in a wee song. Grand having you all here. Why not drop in again sometime? Until then, cheery bye. God bless. Take care. And don't forget, there's plenty of people worse off than yourselves, especially if they haven't got a punchline. <laughs> to the newsroom for the latest report on holiday traffic. Well, the rush of holidaymakers to the coast has been much smaller than expected. Police have managed to keep the traffic moving slowly. Soon they hope to stop it altogether, but... <laughs> mean, meanwhile, extra policemen on point duty are preventing minor hold-ups by making them into big ones. In the, in the West Country, traffic conditions are said to be much better. The roads are jammed solid. We did hear that one car was found actually moving on the Exeter bypass, but this was just an isolated incident. And Members of the AA and RAC and police are now moving along roads, welding the cars bumper to bumper. <laughs> A traffic control spokesman made this comment. <laughs> but of course, no bank holiday would be complete without the traditional Brian Ricks farce. So let's get it over with quickly and join the Ricks company at the Whitehall Theatre for their latest hit play. I did say hit. A brand new farce entitled, Watch It, Vicar, She's Dropped Them Again, But Don't Tell Hitler. Well, you join us at the Whitehall Theatre with the audience cringing in the aisles. Uh, perhaps I should explain the plot so far, but I honestly couldn't bear it. 
So let's join the action as Reggie is explaining to his fiancée's housekeeper that he must get the bishop's trousers before his wife discovers the letter from his friend Percy's lover in the hip pocket or some such nonsense. Hello. Mr. Reggie, I thought it must be you by the round of applause you always get when you come in. Yes, but I've no time to explain. I must get the bishop's trousers before a whole lot of extraneous minor characters start rushing about the stage, stealing all the laughs. Well, here comes the bishop now. Ah, he mustn't see me here. I'll hide in this cupboard. Oh, Mrs. Moggs, have you seen young Reggie? He's in the cupboard. Oh, I mean, you better hide in the bedroom in case he's hiding in the cupboard. Good idea. I'll do just that. Hello, Mrs. Moggs. Oh, hello, Lord Carfax. Quick, hide in the sideboard in case anyone comes in and finds you. Uh, why? You won't get your laughs if you don't. Oh, right now I'll do it. What? Oh, dear. Now I'd better hide just in case I'm needed for a joke. Well, you get the picture. They're all hiding from each other and this should build up to a really amusing scene. <laughs> crowd here are tense with their anticipation and yes I can see some movement they're coming out the bishop is coming out of the bedroom and he's making a break for the French windows but now it's Reggie Reggie from the cupboard is making a move and here comes Mrs. Mock but Carfax is out of the sideboard into the cupboard he's in the cupboard what a beautiful move but uh, Reggie's after him and the bishop's in the cupboard now oh, there's three of them in the cupboard there and I don't remember seeing a bishop in the cupboard since the final in 1938 and they've, they've got the bishop's trousers they've got his trousers uh, Reggie's throws them to Mrs. Mock's Mock's to Carfax and the bishop's coming up behind him Carfax to Reggie Reggie's looking for help and it's P.C. Lum, the lovable P.C. Lum. Well, Lum's been out of the place so far, but now he's making his move. And with only seconds to go to the final curtain, it's Lum. Streaking across the stage in possession of the trousers and the crowd going mad. He beats the bishop, Mrs. Marks, and Lum passes the Carfax, but it's intercepted. Reggie has the trousers. And in the dying seconds of the play, Reggie is making a desperate bid. And the bishop's behind him. He tackles him. He's down. Reggie is down. And the bishop has the trousers. And he's making for the French windows. And there's no one to stop him. He's in front of an open window. He must get through. But Reggie's coming up from behind. He tackles the bishop only two yards from the window. This is unbelievable. But look at this. Reggie's own trousers are falling down. Trousers are falling down. Yes, they're coming down. They're coming down. And they're down. The trousers are down. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's a The BBC have been trying to find the best choir of football supporters in Britain. So here are the winners. Who else but the Tillingbourne Folk and Madrigal Society? One, two. Chelsea! Boom, 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 boom. What a referee! With a head and a horn, a head nodding no. Oh, what a referee! Oh, what a referee! What a referee! What a referee! Oh, 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 what a
tonight a particularly well-read and intelligent audience. Is that right? Yes! Mm. So, instead of the usual puerile prune play, we're going to have something from the classics. I'm sure you all know the classics backwards. I do. It's Gisalk. What was that? <laughs> well, anyway, we all know the great figures of Greek literature, especially Helen of Troy, who had the greatest figure of them all. But you must also surely know the great writers and philosophers whose names I won't mention now, because they're not funny enough. But there were lesser-known authors whom you won't know, because I've just made them up. Mmm, very pretty they look, too. Anything else? Here come the funny Greeks. Demosthenes and his friend, Noblinis. Socrates and Standertes. Euripides. And Iripodos, <laughs> Iphigenia, and Euphigen there. <laughs> Antigone, and Uncle Igone. <laughs> Hippocrates, Hoity Toities, and Afternoon Teas, <laughs> and a barrage of rotten fruit. <laughs> Yes, they were all great men, but you won't be too familiar with them unless you want to get into trouble. <clears throat> but though you may laugh... Thank you. <laughs> in fact, Greek authors were most famous for their tragedies, and it's a tragedy we bring you tonight. Oh, I bet, yeah. <laughs> the rules of Greek drama decreed that the ideal tragedy should... Confirm the nobility of royalty, assert the fatality of the gods, elevate the dignity of humanity, and be full of dirty jokes. <laughs> The principal characters in a Greek tragedy were usually a king or nobleman, a queen or nobleman, a couple of mad princesses, a couple of beauties, usually Helen of Troyes, half a dozen seven-headed monsters, Des O'Connor, a 
and, <laughs> and Orson Welles as God. Also of great importance was the chorus. So without further ado, let's meet the chorus for our play. Cynic Philistines. The Greek chorus is not a bunch of young girls with shapely legs and big bosoms. It consists of elderly, grey-haired, wise men. With shapely legs and big bosoms? With no. no. They are the elders, the old citizens of the town. No. They used to be sprightly young men courting girls, but now they're past it. They've seen too much and they are sad. If I'd seen too much, I wouldn't be sad. <laughs> you would be if you were past it. True. So anyway... The chorus. The chorus are sad old men, right? Right. All right, well, now come on again and do it properly. Ladies and gentlemen, the chorus. You speak them all at once, together. You are one. I am not. <laughs> all together, right? right? Right. I'll try. So at last, we give you Radio Prune's full frontal Greek tragedy. Oedipus Rex and his red-hot mama. Woo! The scene is Athens. It is a fine early morning in the city and the sun is just up. All right, I'm up. Its rays glint on the temples, cheeks and kneecaps of Athens. And in an empty street, a shaft of sunlight picks out a young man. Right, I'll have him. Who is it? Who is it, you ask? No, we don't. Yes, you do. <laughs> Who, Who is, is it? It is Oedipus, the young king. The chorus introduce him to the audience. Oedipus, this is the audience. Audience, this is Oedipus. Say hello, Oedipus. Hello, Oedipus. The chorus now sing of Oedipus's many noble qualities. Oedipus, he's quite nice, really. Now, tell us where Oedipus is going this fine morning. I, Oedipus, am going to visit the Oracle to see if it can tell me my future. Ah, this tent looks like the place. Registered Oracle. Prophecies, predictions and soothsaying by appointment. Funerals arranged in advance. <laughs> and what's this? Telling the future department. Closed owing to unforeseen circumstances. <laughs> ah, but... But I... I must know my future. I'll go in. Good morning. Now, look, I hear tell that you know all about a person without ever meeting them. Prove it. All right. Now, your name is uh, Oedipus Rex. Your mother was hoping for a dog. And... <laughs> 
time you were Alice here, you were born under Taurus the Bull, or Daisy the Cow, as she's now now. You're 21 years old, you live at the penthouse flat, the Acropolis. Uh, you go to the Discus Tech every Wednesday. Uh, yesterday for breakfast you had spiced olives, puree of garlic, curried bowl, naspic and chips, remember? Ah, oh, yes, it's all coming back. Not surprised. <laughs> well, I want you to foretell my future. Hush the face, an evil face. It is Cassandra. Let's tune in and see what she has to say. There will be a great storm over the land. It will rain down fire and brimstone. The rivers and lakes will flow with boiling blood. And the earth's crust will be rent with cracks that seep and surge with molten lava. The sun will sink, the moon will burst, and all the land will shrivel up to dust. As a result, today's racing at Newmarket has been cancelled. <laughs> This is no good. Oh, come on, I got a round of applause. <laughs> I must know my fate. Ah, only the gods know your fate. The gods, they are with us everywhere in everything throughout nature. When we are warm by the sun, it is the gods smiling on us. When we are cool by the wind, it is the gods breathing on us. And when we are sprinkled with rain, it is the gods' way of... <laughs> way, way of... way of getting a cheap laugh. Let's call Zeus! How do you do that? Oh, I have my own magic mystical method. Oi, Zeus! Hello, lady. Blimey, but can't a god have a bit of a nap, eh? I say, what have I? Sometimes I think I can't wait for Salu Gray to come up and take over. What do you want? I, Oedipus, want to know my future. OK. You'll enter for the Olympic Games, right? If you win the Schmarathon, Helena Troy, you know, the celestial cream with the big knockers, she'll... <laughs> She'll offer herself to you. Oedipus, think of that. Helen of Troy is going to offer herself to you. Come on, what are you going to do? I don't know. I shall have to ask my mummy. Oedipus had known his mother a long time. His first memory was when she used to bounce him on her knee with no clothes on. Funny woman. But she realised that she'd been treating him as a baby far too long when, on his 15th birthday, he turned to her and said... Now, Oedipus was 21, but he was still tied to his mother's apron. Very awkward when she put it in the spin dryer. She was always trying to please him, making little pies of things he loved best. And this day, he returned home to find a huge steaming pudding. It's me! Mummy. Oh, excuse me, Oedipus. I must keep on with my housework. I've got a little behind. <laughs> oh, all right, a colossal behind. But tell me, son, don't you think I look beautiful today? Oh, Mother, oh. you know, whenever I look at you, I think of Bridget Pardo. Oh. Then I don't feel so bad. <laughs> but, Mummy. <laughs> Mummy. Yeah. I have just been to the Oracle. There's a good boy. <laughs> Zeus spoke to me. He said, if I win the marathon, Helen of Troy will offer herself to me. Helen is a very wicked girl. Yes. Oh, oh Mother. <laughs> mother, I've been a baby too long. I must grow up. You mustn't hold me back. Huh? Or any other part of me. <laughs> I, I must be allowed to behave like grown men do. I want to go out with girls and show them how virile and mature I am. Certainly, dear. Now hold still while I pin your nappy. <laughs> 
going to enter the marathon and give myself to Helen. No, dear, she'll lead you astray. With a bit of luck? It's, it's that wretched, what's his name's fault. You mean Zeus, the god? Well, he may be a god to you, but he's no Zeus to me. Careful <laughs> joke, what? Mother, you mustn't make jokes about the deity. Oh, all right, no more dare to jokes. <laughs> oh, the gods are getting angry. <laughs> and the stalls aren't too pleased. <laughs> And so arrived the day of the Olympic Games. It was perfect conditions for athletics. A gentle breeze was rustling the leaves. Yahoo, giddy up leaves on the gentle breeze, boss. Inside the stadium, the people were packed like sardines in tomato sauce. And as the time neared for the marathon, the crowd began to stir. Their eyes popped out. I'll be back in a minute. And they all burst into cheering. As they witnessed the fabulous Helen of Troy, she stepped forward to meet Oedipus. Her voice was like crystal dewdrops, tinkling with exquisite taste. Hello, sailor. Oedipus was wearing the traditional dress of all Greek athletes, a fig leaf. Mm, I can't wait till autumn. Now look here. Ooh, tar. <laughs> Only if you win the marathon will you have me, Helen of Troy. But remember, if at first you don't succeed... Troy? Troy? Oh, well, I'm afraid I'm a bit of a bore with the old jokes, but I don't half go a bit. Oh, hark at me! So the runners for the marathon lined up in their fig leaves. They're off! Whoops! <laughs> so over to our well-known Yorkshire Greek commentator. Well, I've certainly got a long way to run. One of the uh, big dangers is they might be attacked by tribes of Huns and Vandals, but they'll be all right if the Huns let them through. Speaking of Huns led, I say they are a good win against Bravo Northern. Well, you like a grand tribe with the best of friends in the showers. That's all you're getting. So back to the marathon. So we're well underway now on the marathon where the competitors have to go as far as possible and back incorporating not less than five funny place names in the next two minutes. And right away it's Oedipus out in front leading the rest of the field well behind. He's run out of the stadium, through the streets of Athens, through the palace. He nearly came Acropolis there and I can just, just see him disappearing over the border into Bulgaria. Over to you, Sophia. Oh. Here we are, uh, waiting at the Bosphorus, and here comes Oedipus approaching the Bosphorus. One, two, and he's over. And to take up the story in Turkey, over to you, Barry. Well, here on the southern slopes of the Caspian Sea, it's still Oedipus in front. He reaches the seashore, and he's up and in. Oh, he's out again, and halfway across he ran. And he ran pretty fast to get there. And he's through the Greek salt desert, through Afghanistan, and listen to the crowd as he goes through India. And this... <laughs> this is the big one now. Oedipus is about to take the Himalayas for the first time, and he's up... And up, and up, and up, and over, and over, and over. And I expect he'll ever rest after that. No, no, I'm entirely wrong. He's carrying on. Yes, I can see him making straight for the country just north of Burma. I think I know its name, but I wouldn't like Tibet on it. And as he heads for the Great Wall of China, we go back to Helen of Troy for her reaction so far. Oh, he's going to win. You're going to take him. The gods have decreed it. It is his fate. No, I'm going after him. Oedipus, wait for me. Oedipus! The crowd made a grab at her, but she accelerated so fast she left them behind. No, I've left them behind. 
A few minutes flew by, and then... Look, 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 coming up the finishing line, it's Oedipus. He's still in the lead. But look, close behind, it's his mother, and she's gaining on him. Oh, I've won. She's won. won. (laughs) So, Helen, now you cannot take my little boy, for I am the winner of the marathon. Oh, you fool. Now I'll have to marry you. Oh, Oh, Oedipus. Oh, Daddy. (laughs) Thus ends our tragedy. As, despite his valiant efforts, fate dealt cruelly with Oedipus. Oh, my fate! My fate! They're killing me! You have been listening to the ancient Greek tragedy, I'm sorry I'll read it again. Brought to you by the up-to-the-minute station of the nation, Radio Prune. This programme was a repeat of the broadcast first heard in the year 560 BC. The Frogs of Aristophanes were played by John Cleese, Graham Garden, David Hatch and Bill Oddie, and The Birds by Joe Kendall and Tim Brooke Taylor. The script by Bill Oddie and Graham Garden was based on an idea by Aeschylus and changed remarkably little. The song was composed and sung by Bill Oddie and the music played by Dave Lee in his orchestra and chorus and was arranged by Leon Cohen. The producers, who should be nameless, were Peter Titheridge and David Hatch. And here is Sopho Cleese to say... It's, I'm sorry, I'll read that again, again. My name is Jay Cleese, and I would like to tell you I'm sorry I'll read that again. My name is Jay Cleese.